than go and minister life somewhere. And so we're so grateful to, um, for what God is doing in their lives. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It is uh, the time, 50 days after the crucifixion, when we celebrate the coming of the Spirit of God into the church. It's really the birth of the church. It's really the life that we have in Christ is all lived by the power of the Spirit. It says in Colossians 2.10, in him, and this is past tense, by the way, you have been made complete. In him, you have been made complete. How have we been made complete? By the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ through the new life of the resurrection and the empowerment of the Spirit of God who indwells us. Too often, we as followers of Jesus Christ go looking. Look at me for just a second. We go looking for something we already have. I mean, that's a simple truth. We go looking for something we've already received. We don't know that we've been empowered by that. I mean, what else has God got to give us other than himself? To fill us up with his power and his presence. And so we need to walk in what we have received. Uh, Scott mentioned it earlier. Sometimes we don't, we don't live life like we're really Pentecostal, so to speak, in the sense of that we have received the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we go by what we feel rather than what God says about us. In Job 32, uh, it is it, it said, But is the Spirit in a man the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding? The key word here is the word um, pneuma, uh, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, like um, pneumonia, you know, when you get pneumonia, that's the bad thing, uh, because it, it's talking about an infection in your lungs, and the breath, pneuma, it comes from the Greek, it, it means that we have the breath of God, the Spirit of God, the life of God in us. <clears throat> if you were to stop breathing right now, you might be able to go a minute, two minutes, I don't know. The best of us in here, I don't know how long we could go, but eventually, and not very long, before I get through the introduction, you would not have made it. Why? Because we need breath every moment of every day to live. In the same way, we cannot live the Christian life apart from the breath of God, the power of God, His presence that indwells us. It's the key to the Christian life. He is the key to the Christian life. We've been looking at that over the past weeks, and we've talked about his indwelling presence in our life. We've talked a little bit about how he came to the day of Pentecost. Today I want to talk about what does it matter? How, does, how, do, how is everyone here, so to speak, different because of the power and presence of the Spirit of God in you, and how am I different than, you know, Jared or John or... What's different about us in the power of the Holy Spirit? There must be a reason that we all are here looking so different and are different. We're going to talk about that just for a minute this morning. I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. 
the gifts that God has given in your life. Do you know that if, if I'm going to give TV a gift, inherent in the idea of the term gift is that TV didn't earn it, right? It's a gift. I'm just giving it to him. If he earned it, that's like a salary or a wage. He did something. I, he worked. I owe him. It's not a gift. It's what he's earned. But the Bible talks about gifts that we have been given, meaning we didn't deserve them. And there are different gifts from God that are actually listed in the New Testament. There is the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin, what you earned, <laughs> what you earned and deserve is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's what we celebrated this morning in the, in the uh, communion time, is we celebrated the gift of eternal life. Today is Pentecost. We, we celebrate the free gift of the Holy Spirit. It, Jesus said to his followers, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life is a free gift. And then we've also received spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I'm not going to have time to fully expound on spiritual gifts today to talk about all the different gifts and uh, all the ramifications. What I want to do is kind of stir us up a little bit, again, afresh and anew. And at the end of the summer, we're going to have a spiritual gift discovery time, a shape weekend where we can delve a little more into spiritual gifts. But this passage is key. We've been given a gift, a spiritual gift. For what purpose? Hello? To help each other. How many of us has been given a spiritual gift? Listen, people, this is key. This is key. We have each been given a spiritual gift for the purpose of helping each other, building up the body of Christ. There are a couple of different Greek words, and I don't usually get into the Greek, but it's just I just want to give you this I don't get into it for a couple of reasons. One, I don't know it, uh, but I know enough to be, to be dangerous. Um, one of the Greek words for spiritual gift is the word pneumaticon. Again, you, do you see the pneuma in their breath idea? This, is, um, this word literally means spirituals. It's used in 1 Corinthians 12.1 where Paul says, now about spirituals, that's kind of the and he doesn't mean the old songs, uh, spirituals. He means spiritual gifts. Some of you didn't even track with me there for a second. It was fun. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. The, the gifts that the Spirit of God, that come from the Spirit of God that we've been blessed with, I don't want you to be ignorant. What is inherent kind of in that statement? They, they're already ignorant. I mean, it, it, and they're acting ignorant. If you read 1 Corinthians, they're acting crazy stupid about spiritual gifts. They're saying this gift is better than that gift. Uh, I'm super spiritual because I have this gift and you don't. Um, they're, they're, they're out of whack 
on spiritual gifts. And Paul is bringing a word of correction to them about spiritual gifts in this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. But that's the word that's used there. The other word that's used is charisma, which is used in Romans 12, 6. He says we have different gifts. Grace gifts is really the way it's worded. Charisma, charismata, uh, from which we get the word charismatic um, to talk about grace gifts. These are gifts of grace. Again, what did we do to earn these gifts of grace? Nothing inherent in the word grace and gift. It's almost a repetition kind of thing. It's given to you as a gift of grace by the mercy of God. Paul says in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some gift of grace, spiritual gift, to make you strong. So just looking at these two Greek words and the way they're framed, they're from the Holy Spirit. They're, 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 they have to do with his grace in our life, and they're given so that we'll help each other. Everybody has them. Everybody has a gift of grace who's a follower of Jesus Christ and walks in the Holy Spirit, and they're given for the building up of the body of Christ. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, which lists spiritual gifts, all talk about the practical nature of the gift. But why is this, why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Well, at some point in the church's history, we reached a place where we paid people to do church, the clergy, the workers, they're really the studiers. They're, the word has a lot of different connotations and meaning, but we paid people to do church, and then we, we encouraged people to go to church, but not do church, the laity, kind of like they lay around. I mean, they don't... I mean, it's kind of that clergy-laity dichotomy that entered the church. You know, if Satan couldn't kill the church, he was going to do everything he could to make it ineffective. And one of the ways he made it ineffective is by removing God's design for the church from the church. Say, I'm going to give, I mean, really, think about it. I'm going to make you rich enough where you can pay people to do church and you just come and pretend. You, you don't act. You, you understand? I'm getting kind of, where's Justin? I'm going to pound the pulpit today. I don't know if he's still in here. The idea that you just watch is, to me, a lie born in the pit of hell. Why? Because you, me, all of us have been gifted, gifted to, to build up the body of Christ. My job, my job is to help equip you and for you and us together to walk in the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Let me just say this in case you are new to fullness what we believe about spiritual gifts. The Bible lists 27 different spiritual gifts between Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. There's a segment of the church 
who believes that after the Bible was complete or the last apostles died, that some of the spiritual gifts, the supernatural ones, particularly they're talking about tongues, speaking in tongues and prophecy and some of the apostolic gifts, that those ceased. We didn't need them anymore. We didn't need them anymore because now we got the Bible and the apostles are gone. We have the church. These people are called, by the way, cessationists because they believe that a certain number of the supernatural gifts have ceased. They use passages like 1 Corinthians 13, where there's tongues, it'll be done away with. Whether there's prophecies, they will cease because when that which is perfect comes, we no longer need them. Now, I believe that that passage is true, but the perfect has not yet come. I believe it's a reference to the coming of the Savior, Jesus' second coming, and not the Bible. Uh, the Bible is the Word of God, but I don't think that believe that that is a reference. We need spiritual gifts, and we need all of them. We need all of them. So, when people ask me if we're Pentecostal or charismatic, I usually ask them, what do you mean by that word? Because for some people, being Pentecostal means you act crazy, you, act, you wear too much makeup, you don't wear enough, you, you know, it's got a whole, all these different connotations to it, what Pentecostal means to people. To me, Pentecostal means, I believe in the day of Pentecost, when, when the Spirit of God was poured out. Now, in Christian circles, Pentecostal to many means um, baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's what Pentecostal has been defined as in our generation. I don't define it like that. I don't let us be limited to that definition. We're Pentecostal because we believe that Jesus came, he died, he was resurrected, and he poured out the Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost, and we stand in that line. So people ask us, are you charismatic? Again, I ask, what does that mean to you? Well, to me it means that we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are available today. Simply put, we believe God wants to use his spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So I've started using the term continuationist because no one really knows what it means. And, uh, I mean, if somebody is a cessationist and means something ceased, I'm like, well, I, I believe they continued. So we're continuationists. And then nobody knows, it, they don't know if you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, and they don't care if you put your hair up or wear it down. Uh, they don't believe if you're crazy or, you know. We walk in spiritual gifts. So what is it, how, how do we walk in these spiritual gifts? How are we going to do this in the days ahead? And I want to look at Romans 12 a little bit just to talk about how we're going to walk in God's spiritual gifts. First is to do that, we have to commit to pursuing God's purpose. Commit to pursuing God's purpose. If God's purpose is for each of us to walk in our spiritual giftedness, we need to pursue that. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to commit to walking it out. Now, the gift was given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to receive it. Uh, you may have prayed for it, and God gave it to you, but it's ultimately, he's the giver of the gifts. But once we receive the gift, we need to continue to pursue 
his purpose. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, look back up here for just a second, if you don't mind. Paul is going to enter into a discussion about spiritual gifts in Romans 12. This is one of the key passages on spiritual gifts. So we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we think of it in the context of me. Therefore, right, here's what I got to do. But Paul is really saying this, therefore, us, this is what us need to do. This is what we need to do. This is about the body of Christ. This is not just about you as an individual. There's an individual context in that a chain and all of its links go together. But this is really about us, about an us factor. And he says, therefore, uh, you know that stupid old saying, if you see therefore, you got to ask, what is it there for kind of thing when you're reading a passage of Scripture. Paul has spent 11 chapters, 11 of the richest chapters in the entire Bible articulating what is it, what does the mercy of God look like? What is God's love for us? What is his, what does it mean to be a people who walk in faith? And now he gets to this in Romans 12, 1, where he's going to flip it and say, okay, in view of all of that, therefore, now, Here's what we're to look like. And the first thing he says is, in view of God's mercy. <clears throat> Church, we too often lose sight of God's mercy. Uh, everything we do, really, is in view of God's mercy. If, if you start to just do stuff because you need to do stuff, then you've lost, you become a, a law person, not a mercy person, not a grace person. Everything we do is in view of the mercy of God. But because of God's mercy, he says this, offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's basically saying, listen, in view of God's mercy, here's what makes sense. This is what's reasonable. What's reasonable is give yourself totally to him. Be a living sacrifice. Totally commit yourself. So, listen, if we're going to commit to God's purpose, what percentage of me is going to be committed to God's purpose? The only reasonable answer is all of me. I'm going to give everything. I'm a living sacrifice. That means I'm holding back nothing. I'm holding back nothing. Oh, church, please listen to me carefully. I'm as guilty as you of holding back some stuff for me rather than saying the only way to fully live the Christian life is with total commitment. It's the only reasonable way to live, meaning that everything other, every other way to live is unreasonable. He goes on and says, 
Here's the demand of this commitment. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. So there's a negative, don't be conformed. Positive, be transformed. Be transformed. You have two options. By the way, I don't see a third one here. You, see, you are going to either be conformed to the world or transformed by his power. There's no middle ground. I'm going to stay neutral. I'm going to be Switzerland. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not going to commit to the good or the bad. I'm just going to stay neutral. No, you got no choice. You're either in the process of being conformed or transformed. The change from one to the other. So the basis of doing what God is telling us to do is his mercy. The, the character of it is it's, it's total. It is complete. The demand of it is be transformed. The result is this. You can know the will of God. You can know the will of God. Paul is not presenting this as an option. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. <clears throat> so many people want to know the will of God for their lives. It really has to do with God's purpose and plan for you. How, how do you know it? According to Paul, in view of the God's mercy, his change in your life, commit totally to him, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you're going to know. You will know God's will. Well, does that mean I'm going to know whether to buy this car? No, no, no. You, you get so caught up in the... What is the will of God for you? Paul is going to tell us. Walk in the gifts he's given you. He can, he's, he's lining this all up to say this. You can know who you are by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's lining it up to get to later in Romans 12 to talk about spiritual gifts. To talk about what part are you in the body of Christ. You see that. The most important question you've got in life is not whether you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a coach or a mother or a father. The most important question Paul is lining up to say to you is this. What part are you in the body of Christ? And are you filling your purpose and plan for your life? We give tons of time going to 12 years of college. I mean, 12. Well, some people go 12 years of college, 12 years of high school, four years of college, hopefully. I prayed the Lord for my kids, four years of college, then maybe graduate school. For what? To find our purpose in life. Listen, I, I'm not downplaying. I'm, I'm, I'm educated well beyond my intelligence. I've been to school for a long time. But what I'm saying, and I'm for it, but what I'm saying is, the most important question is not that, but this. How do you know it? You know it by the commitment that you place in your life to following after him. Commit to pursuing God's grace gifts in our life. Just a couple of verses after this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us this. 12, 6, he says, we have different gifts according to what? According to the grace he has given us. In other words, he's the one who gives gifts. <clears throat> you know, I'm not a perfect father. I'm not far away, but I'm not a perfect father. 
But I give gifts to my children based on what I think they need and desire and how I want to bless them. And I don't give them all the same gifts. We've had this discussion at our house. We need to give the exact same gift. You know, we've got three boys. Let's give three gifts so that nobody feels slighted or overly special. I'm like, you know, this sounds like communism to me. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more like, I, I think we should say, what does this child need? Let's bless them with, we'll spend the same amount of money to make it all equal. God is the same, God is the one who gives gifts. He's the one who pours it out on his children. But let's commit to pursuing. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. Let's follow it. Let's go after it. Then, let's carry it out. Let's do what he tells us to do. Romans 12, I'm still in, I was in 1 and 2. Here's 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I, it's one of my favorites. Line, underline this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to who? Now this does sound like communism, doesn't it? No, I'm just kidding. It's not. But to some people it does. Uh, some people have said, hey, you know, the Bible is communist. It says we all belong to one another. It's not what it's saying, people. It's saying this. Look, you're different. Every one of us is different, but we're a body. And we, we go together. My, my fingers have a function. My feet have a function. My head has a function. I mean, we, we have different functions. Let's, but it all belongs together. It belongs to one another. As a result, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of, don't think, I, my, my thumb is the most important member of my entire body. I mean, he, what if my thumb started thinking like that? Oh, I, you know, I'm the most important part of the body of Bart. I mean, that's how some of us are. We, we function in conjunction with the rest. I got an email yesterday. Uh, it, it's, here's the email. I'll just read the first paragraph. In. We feel so honored to announce that the fourth annual World Congress of Smart Materials will be held on March 6th through 8th in Osaka, Japan. We cordially invite you to make an oral presentation as the session speaker under Section 7, Smart Materials Science and Application Outlook. You know, it, up until about then, I was starting to feel, well, that's very nice of him to ask me to come speak at this conference. <laughs> Let me go on. To exchange your state-of-the-art research and outstanding achievements in textile. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're inviting me to come speak on my uh, research and outstanding achievements in textile. I, I have no achievements in textile. 
I wear textile, I think, don't I? I, I don't know. Am I? I don't even know that very well. And then I look back up and it says, Dear Dr. Bob Brookins. Yeah, here's the point. I know this ain't me. I know I ain't going to Osaka, Japan to present a paper or an oral presentation on textiles. Why? Because I got enough sense to know I know nothing about this. And I, I mean nothing. I, I, it's not me. But there becomes a line at times where it's not so obvious. And we need sober judgment. Sober means not drunk, not impaired, not sitting in your Mercedes on the side of the road out of, you know, just... <laughs> that's not sober. You don't make good judgment calls when that happens. Instead, with clarity of mind and spirit, some of you need to read the paper just a little more. With clarity to see who I am in him. And as a result, to carry out God's design. I need to, I need to be realistic about my measure of faith. I, I got to know who I am in order to do that. How do I know who I am? Verses 12, 1 and 2. I'll know the will of God when I totally commit, and then with sober judgment, I'm going to walk it out. Um, my son Adam is in the Grand Tetons this summer. We were, I was laughing at Grant's post uh, on Facebook yesterday where he was talking about um, Lydia traveling on a train through the West. And does it, he, one of Grant's Grant asks something like this, does it count if your children are fulfilling your bucket list? And I said, Lord, I hope so, because my kids are. This is a picture Adam sent me this week uh, uh, from kayaking out. Now, Adam loves to climb, and here's a picture of Adam climbing again this week. Another picture, he's kind of blends in. It's kind of, can you see him on the right? He's climbing. And the... If that were me, I'd be dead. I mean, I got no skills here to be able to pull myself up on rocks and to climb tall things. I, I never really did. It was never one of my gifts. But Adam lives for this. He loves doing this. Now, how did all of this come about where Adam is there fulfilling this? Well, Cheryl was working at the college formerly known as Southeastern, um, and she was working at Saudi. Really, you've got to start reading the paper, people, <laughs> to know what's going on in the world. Um, Cheryl was working at Southeastern, and a recruiter came through for a ministry called a Christian Ministry in the National Parks and was recruiting people to go to different national parks to work for the summer to do Christian ministry. And she was recruiting off the college campus, and Cheryl called and said to me, this is Adam. This is what Adam needs to go do. And I think she even said to the girl, I know a guy who needs to be a part of this because this is who he is. How, how does the, do you understand the point? So I told Adam, Adam called Cheryl. Of course, he took it like a month too long because he's a 20, some three, 23, 24 year old male. Takes him a while to actually follow through. Uh, but he did, and now he is 
working full-time in the Grand Tetons, and they're having church there this morning for the people who are the, the guests, and he's fulfilling his destiny, I believe, in his life. I think God's going to do great things. I think this is what he's made for, not me. Why, why do I tell you all this? Because carrying out God's design to do that, it takes all of us. I mean, if Cheryl didn't know Adam and recognize and meet this girl, call me, I say, yeah, Adam, go do... He wouldn't be where he is right now. Why? Because we all, we, we go together. We go together. And we have to start functioning as the body of Christ. We all have to start doing our part in order to see all of us built up like God wants. More importantly, so that the entire body functions like it's supposed to. I, I want to remind you to fan into flame. Carry out the design that God has given you. Final point is this. <clears throat> Cherish God's presence. Cherish God's This is all about his presence and power in your life. This is about the spirit of God, the, the holy who in your life. He is a person. He is in your life. His presence indwells you. And we need to know that God has given us gifts from a variety of gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Cherish it. Manage it well. I'm going to close with this story. Biblical story. The original Pentecost, if you remember from two weeks ago, was the 50 days after Passover. Nation of Israel leaves Egypt. They're set free out of, out of Egypt. 50 days later, they arrive at Mount Sinai. They, Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments. So that's the original, the freedom and the law. Passover in Christ represents freedom from sin and the giving of a law written on our hearts, the person of the Holy Spirit. At the original Pentecost, at the original giving of the Ten Commandments, do you remember what happens? Moses goes, he's up 40 days, he's, he's uh, getting the, the tablets of stone, the law. While he's gone, Brother Aaron succumbs to the pressure of the people and builds a golden calf that when Moses comes down and is told by God, go down, the people, the idiots down there, they've gone off the reservation kind of thing, go down and talk to him. I know that's not politically correct, forgive me, but um, they, they're, they're no longer following me. Moses gets down and says to Aaron, what'd you do? Said, well, I, you know the people, they really pressured me. They, they, they really put a lot. So I just took the gold, I threw it in a fire, and this thing came out. <laughs> you know, Aaron probably would have believed in evolution if it was at that period because it just kind of, I threw it and it came out. That's all, it just. They separate themselves out. Moses says, hey, everybody who's on my side, step over here. You want to you go with that calf? Stand over there. It's interesting. How many people died that day? 
3,000. The same number that came to know Jesus on the day of Pentecost. I mean, there, you can't miss. You can't miss the connection between the two events. 3,000 died that day. Here's what happens, though. God says to Moses this. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> I guess that's the harshest thing he could say to them. You're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. What is God saying? He goes on to articulate this. I promised you a land, and I'm going to give you the land, but I ain't going with you. Because if I do, I might kill you, because you're a bunch of idiots. That's my answer. You're stiff-necked people. You keep turning back and doing this thing. And then he says to him, while I find, make a final call, strip off all your ornaments. Take off all the worldly stuff. Take off the things you value. Moses says to God, if you do not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? People, this is my cry for us. Moses is saying, I, I don't want the promised land without you. I don't want to make this journey without you. I got nothing without you. If you don't go with us, we got nothing else. Church, I want to say this. When it comes to the person and presence, power of the Holy Spirit, we got nothing without him. Nothing. I mean, I, 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 building is nothing. Chairs, nothing. Even friendships don't really count without his power and presence. We, we could have, be the richest, but without him, we got, we got nothing. But with him, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. And my call in this three weeks is this. If we are going to be a church that knows the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of God, it happens by the Spirit of God really who indwells us now. We, we experience the love of Christ the power of the Holy Spirit indwells us, and as a result, we walk in the fullness of God. And we want to see this happen over and over and over again. We want people who come in to encounter God and then to experience the life of God for themselves and then for all of us to expand in this role as the body of Christ. If we as a church are going to do this, you're here today, some of you, and saying, I want to know what God wants. I want to know. I want to know God's destiny for my life. I want to know what he wants for me. I want to say this to you. God's design in you reveals his destiny for you. Do you understand? The way he's designed you, the way he's made you, the way he's shaped you, 
the way he's gifted you, reveals his destiny for you. What we want to help you to do is discover how God has designed you, because in doing so, his destiny for you is going to be fulfilled. Isn't that great news? Do you know God has every single gift he wants and we need here today? I mean, really. We just need to discover them and walk in them in order to achieve the destiny that he has for all of us together. I want to encourage you to discover how God has designed you and gifted you supernaturally by his presence in order to fulfill his purpose and destiny for you, but for us, and as a result, I believe, for this city. Let's bow for prayer. Here's my first question for you. Have you received the gift of eternal life? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Have you received that gift? Because you can't receive the other gifts unless you receive this one. 